White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 634. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, it's been a little while. But we're back. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, your favorite pat podcast for talking about Babylon 5. And there's a lot of podcasts talking about Babylon 5 out there. A lot of good ones. A lot of good people doing them. But we're the best. I feel I'm prejudiced. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Andy Fix. Are you there, Andy? I am here, Van. How are you? Hey, we've both had vacations. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yes. They were quite spectacular. Yes, yes. And our audience... Got a little vacation from us for an extra week, but now we're back. So <laughs> you, you and I both went to the beach. We did. Separate beaches, but we did go to the beach. I went. I was a little further north than you. I was in North Carolina, but uh, we, we stayed on a beach house right on the, I mean, mm. literally right on the beach. We could walk out our back door and, and take spaces to the beach. So it was, it was fabulously relaxing. Uh, we did it with my wife's family, which, which came with all the fa- interesting family dynamics. So there was, you know. There was there was some uh, some challenges, but uh, everybody ultimately had fun. So it was very good, very relaxing. This was the first um, vacation that my wife and I have taken together in ten years. Wow! Holy cow! Yeah, we've been we've we've been busy. You needed it, did you not? I would guess. I did. I I absolutely did. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, working for Red Bull for all those years, it. it there is no downtime for working at Red Bull. I mean, I'm crazy hours. So, yeah, but it's all good. It was fun. Well, yeah, we were down the southern tip of Alabama, down on the Gulf, and uh, yeah, we had to go through a parking lot and over a little bridge, and then we were on the beach. That wasn't too too bad, and uh, we had a lot of fun too. So, yeah, well, so we were both away for a little while, and but w- yeah, was that was that your hometown, or or did you grow up in that area? No, I grew up uh, closer to Birmingham. But we went through my hometown okay. on the way back home. We went through Auburn, and then we went through Sylacauga, where I'm from, on the way back home up through Alabama. But uh, I have a lot of friends from down there in Baldwin County, Alabama. It's basically, it's like if you kept going a little further east, you get to Pensacola, and, and then, you know, like Fort Walton and Panama City are all over that way. So it's it's basically just a little right. stub of Alabama that's stuck on the end of Florida, pretty much. <laughs> but we did get to go. This was cool, and this is, <laughs> this is more relevant to Babylon 5. We got to go up to Mobile one day and go to the big battleship and the submarine, and the submarine reminded me of like the Hyperion ship on Babylon 5, that small, cramped, like a submarine ship that we see in, uh, I think we first see it in uh, Voice in the Wilderness Part 1 and 2, and that's very much what that reminded me of was that World War II American submarine, whereas the battleship's more like the big Omegas. Yep, we visited the U.S. Right. Yeah, we visited the USS North Carolina, so I, I I had a similar experience. 
Yeah, yeah, it's neat. They've got these ships all along the coast, so you can check them out. I remember when I was in Charleston, I was on, I went to the uh, the aircraft carrier that's there. So, yeah, there's all kinds of fun places you can go along the U.S. coast and be on different warships, and they're all very similar to what uh, the the Earth Alliance uses in Babylon Five. So, speaking of speaking of Babylon Five, we have a couple of episodes. We did a we did two episodes in a row of our show talking about one episode each of of the Babylon Five show. But now we're. I felt like we were back to where we, we needed to go back to two for a couple of episodes. And so we'll have two this week. We'll have two coming up. And then I'm not sure. We'll have to, you and I will have to talk. We'll have to look at it and talk and decide. I can't remember if we've already kind of got a sketch of how we're going to do it. But we'll do it in the best way that it needs to be done. Um, like, for example, the big question in my mind do we do War Without End as one of our episodes, the two together, or do we do a complete episode of ours for each episode of War Without End? Because if there were ever two episodes that make sense to combine together in one podcast, it's War Without End. But on the other hand, so much happens, I could see doing them separately. Right. I don't know. Right. I, I think we should do them together, but we'll, we'll, we'll discuss further. All right, all right. Well, we'll see what the folks say. Um so, oh crap! I just realized I forgot to go get the uh, our our patron comment. So I'll do that when the time comes. I'll do it very quickly while you are saying very clever and erudite things, uh, Andy. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, remember our sh- <laughs> put me on the spot. Why don't you? <laughs> yeah, I will. I will have no problem. Hold hold up your end of the bargain. Um, uh, remember, our show does not have commercials. You don't have to listen to any ads or anything like that. What we have. Our patrons, and if you want to help this show continue, go to go to www.b5review.com, www.b5review.com, and click on the button to become a patron. I think uh, links to all the episodes are there in a drop down, and you can also go to babylon5review.podbean.com where the actual podcast gets beamed out. So there's two different websites you can go to, but uh, both of them have links to where you can become a patron and f- and uh, help the show to survive. And now I think we should go ahead and get into episode 311, Ceremonies of Light and Dark. Now, before we do the summary, I'm curious about this. What did you remember about this episode coming in before you you watched it for this show? I remembered uh, basically the uh, um, the uh, the ceremony. And what I remembered, I didn't specifically remember all the secrets that the people told, but I, I remember the gist of them. Mm-hmm. I remembered especially uh, 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 um, the docks and Garibaldi's. Um, and I also remembered the, the, the new uniform reveal. But everything else was kind of kind of foggy. But yeah. as I was watching it, I, I definitely, it all came back to me very quickly. How about yeah, that's, you? Yeah, pretty much. I think of this episode as... The one after Severed Dreams where they get the new uniforms. That's pretty right. much. That's why I was wondering if you remembered more of it than I do. Because no matter how many times I watch it, the main plot of it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And I just think of it as the episode where they get the black uniforms. And I think that was by design because the last few episodes were so significant. Yeah. You needed an episode to, to just take a breath and, and not have anything huge happen. Yeah, I, no, yeah, no doubt. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so do you want to summarize this one, or you want to defer to the second half? No, We're back I can to that. Summarize this one. Yeah, <laughs> We're back to that. We- <laughs> <laughs> so in this episode, uh, Delenn and Lanier invite the uh, the senior staff and the other ambassadors to a Minbari rebirth ceremony, 
And in the meantime, Delenn is taken hostage by the remnants of the Night Watch. And the the uh, command staff have to rescue her. Yeah. Um, and I have a an unanswered question coming up about that, but we'll get to that in just a minute. This I have several unanswered questions for this episode and for the next one, honestly. And and a couple of people said that they liked our unanswered questions thing we've been doing. So I've, I'm kind of like including that, not as its own category, but inside the random factoids and notes. So if you ever... Yeah, that's good. You've kind of been doing that too. You've been putting whatever in there just like I have. So, you know, that's where they right. go. So, okay. That's why um, it's called random. It is indeed. Um, <laughs> all right. So this episode was written by JMS, and I'm going to continue saying that until season five. <laughs> Spoiler. Uh, directed by John C. Flynn three, And John Flynn, we, I think we've decided if, if he's not on the Mount uh, Rushmore of directors of B5, he's adjacent. Um, production number 311. So this is actually the last episode of the first half of the series. Uh, there's 22 episodes, so this is the last episode before the midpoint. Uh, we'll actually cross over the midpoint during this podcast today, which is kind of cool. <laughs> um, it originally aired April 8th, 1996. And notable guest stars this time around, the venerable William Forward as Forward Reefa. And Don Stroud as Boggs. A couple of things about him coming up. And Paul Perry as Sniper. And I like that they just called him Sniper. In fact, they Boggs actually refers to him as Sniper in the episode. I thought this is one of those where right. the credits like guy number two or something. But no, they actually call him Sniper. <laughs> so it's like if in um, it's like if in Point of No Return. Uh, uh, Zach had referred to the big Night Watch guy as, hey, Night Watch guy number two or something. <laughs> He'd been like, yeah, what is right. it? <laughs> I thought that was funny. So, all right, do you have any random factoids and notes you'd like to share? I have a couple of them. One of them is it's kind of, uh, kind of tan- only tangentially related, but um, the, uh, the time period that Babylon 5 is set in, the, 22, the late 2250s and early 2260s, Mm-hmm. is the exact same time era that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is set in. Strange New Worlds <laughs> is in 2259 right now. And Babylon 5 just transitioned to 2260. So I thought that was I thought that was interesting. Very I, random but interesting. Well, I knew that both were set in the 23rd century, but I didn't Babylon 5 is very explicit with the years and I didn't know if Star Trek ever gave actual years. They well, they do the star date. Okay. But when, when so, they give the start date, but but you know it's twenty two fifty nine though. Yep. So somebody online translated okay. the start date and said, "Yeah, it's it's twenty two fifty nine. Interesting. So, now we're going by what the internet says, and, okay. and I mean, I know yeah. that everything on the internet is usually true, but <laughs> I would never contradict the internet. The internet's smarter than I am. So, well, that is, uh, but that that would make I, sense though. Yeah, I also have uh, the voice of the AI Sparky is the venerable Harlan Ellison. Yes, I thought that was a fun tidbit. Mm-hmm. The creative consultant, um, because he's yes, he's a, a cantankerous old man, so he he plays the role very well. And I thought it was really cool how they transitioned from the old Babylon Five shield with the 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 piece, mm-hmm. the the uh, whatever that is, the, the laurel plant. branch or olive. Yeah, that's it. The laurel, yeah, the laurel branch. They transitioned. That was the the last thing you saw as the transition from that first scene with. Uh, uh, Ivanova and Sheridan, and then they transition to the scene of 
Delenn sitting at the table with the uh, the Mimbari generals, and the new symbol was on her table. And then at the very end of the episode, they finished by showing those the new symbols on the walls in Babylon Five. So it was a transition, basically a, a, a rebirth going along with the theme of the episode, a rebirth of Babylon Five itself rebranding itself as as the the new babylon 5 i thought that was kind of cool how they did that i love that new logo i've got it in various places in my home i have the i got a sticker of it that's about six inches tall and i've never put it on anything because i could never find anything i thought was worthy enough to have the great babylon 5 (laughs) shield sticker so i've just got the stick i've had the sticker for let's see since like 96 97 so 25, 24, 25 years I've had that sticker. I've never put it on anything. I've I've got the um I've got the t-shirt that has Sheridan and Babylon 5 station on the front and it says it was the dawn of the third age of mankind. And on the back of that shirt is the shield logo. And I barely Very ever nice. wear that shirt because it's so cool. And so I just realized the other day that shirt's like 25 years old and I've worn it like once, but it's in pristine <laughs> condition because I never wear it. And right. And around 98, 99, 2000, and for those that keep track, here is your first DragonCon reference for today. It probably won't be the last, but it happens. <laughs> it's going to happen every episode pretty much. I was at DragonCon in 98, 99, 2000, somewhere in there, and I was going down the escalator or up the escalator, and Robin Atkin Downs, who is in the fifth season, um, he passed yeah. me going the opposite direction. And I, th- and I saw him, and I said, hey, that was Robin Atkin Downs. And I turned around on the escalator to look back at him going, I guess, up, and he was wearing a black satin jacket, and on the back, the whole back, was the shield logo with the sword. And I immediately cool. said, I must have that jacket. And I was prepared to mug him in the parking lot and take that jacket off of him. <laughs> Because he could get another one easier than I could. But um, I didn't realize right. it was going to turn into a whole story, but i got to get to the end of it now. So I started on this quest for that jacket. And then a little bit later, the Babylon 5 fan club started selling Babylon 5 black jackets. And I'm like, well, I've got to have that. And so I ordered it, and I still have it. But I was disappointed by one thing. It is one of those cloth jackets with a liner and like the elastic cuffs and the elastic around the waist with a zipper. So it's a great jacket. It's a great jacket, but it's not the same jacket. It's not a satin jacket. It's like a, almost like a denim, you know, black denim almost. And the, and on the back is embroidered, not the shield, but just Babylon five with like the explosion behind it. So it's an, it's an awesome jacket. It's just not the one I thought it was going to be. So if I ever see Robin Atkin Downs out in the wild, I'm going to mug him and, and make him give me that jacket because i got to have it. It's so there, good. There is a segment of Babylon 5 fandom that would cheer you on if you did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 I was taking a drink just as Andy said that, and we almost had a major disaster on my desk here. Wow, that's you're right. No, I, you're I get right. you it. I get you with that at least once an episode. Every so episode, I, I, yeah. I, I wait for you to grab that cup before I say anything. Good grief. Good grief. Yes, you're <laughs> right. No, you're absolutely right. 
Um, okay, so did you? I'm I'm sorry I let us down a rabbit hole, but I, hopefully our our audience will find that at least mildly <laughs> mildly diverting. Uh, did you have any other factoids or notes? Those were good. No, I did not. I think I covered them all. All right, let's see. Here we go. Um, here's unanswered questions. How many more Night Watch members are still on the station? Because Sheridan clearly is ready to put them out the airlock. He's pretty yep. PO'd by the end of this episode at them, right? He's yep. like, I'm done with you people. You got to go. Okay, but we don't know. Uh, and their quality seems to be falling off, too, because the Night Watch people <laughs> before were like, you know, well-dressed, clean-cut people. These are just like almost lurkers, you know, working for the cause. I think... The, these are the equivalent. Well, I won't. I won't go there. That, that's, that's political. So, <laughs> <Okay>. but yeah, <laughs> the, these these are not the the first the the first string night watch guys. These no. are like the hangers on and the wannabes. <laughs> yes, I, I think you make your point. Yeah, uh, <laughs> did Garibaldi ever succeed in getting rid of the artificial intelligence? I mean, we know from the next episode we're going to talk about that it doesn't really pop up there, or really again. But it never really they never really settle that. It just kind of is left hanging. He's trying. Well, he shoots it in the ele- in the elevator or something. But other than that, I don't. You know. <laughs> right. Um, if that was and that that is there was another question for me. If all it took to shut it up was to shoot it in the elevator, why didn't you just go and do that immediately <laughs> instead of all the other stuff? Um, it was a very a very Star Wars way to to solve the technical problem. <sighs> yeah, we're all fine here. How are you? Blam. Boring conversation anyway. Um, <laughs> Okay, so th- this gets in a little bit into it. Lanier told Marcus that he loves Delenn, but but not in a romantic way, in a pure way, right? Okay, then he turns right around and says, but I know she's fated, fated for another, and I've accepted that. Does that seem contradictory to you? No, I, I think I get what he's saying. Um, I, I think he doesn't want to. It, I, I think the Minbari, with their with their philosophical ways, have a, a, a form of love that is above the the animal, according mm-hmm. to their thoughts, the mm-hmm. animal carnal type of, of attraction, and that is what Lanier is aspiring to. But I also think that Lanier is still, you know, driven by the same instincts that all bipedal intelligent mm-hmm. life forms are, are driven by. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I, I think if it, it does, I see what you're saying. It does come across as a little contradictory, but I see it as Lanier trying to present it in a more noble way than what it, what he really feels down inside. Well, not okay. saying that he just lusts after Delenn, but that he, right. he wants to be with Delenn in every way that a husband and wife, you know, a, a, a pairing would want to be with each other. I, I guess to me, A, I think he's full of crap. And B, <laughs> and B, when he says he it's not romantic love, then why does he have to accept that she'll be with somebody else? You know what I mean? That just right. that's, what I, that's the right. that's the yeah. issue that I have as, there. As always, you express that more eloquently than I did. <laughs> now, no, I I just I think that what it really reflects is his con, the conflict. The conflicted feelings that he's dealing with. Right, exactly. He he's trying to make it easier on himself by making it sound like it's more of a spiritual type of yeah. attraction or a, a spiritual feeling for her than a a base animal, you know, yeah. instinctive feeling for her. He's lying to himself as well as to Marcus. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think. I. You know what? I. Th- and I think we have solved it. <laughs> Right, I, I don't. I don't think that's that's even something that that was supposed to be 
guessed at. I was very much implied that yeah. that Linear is conflicted about this. Yeah. Um. Does he know who she's fated to be with yet? Does he suspect that it could be Sheridan based on what we see in these two episodes? Or is he just like thinking that at some point she's going to marry some Minbari starship captain or, you know, religious leader or something like that? I wonder if he's suspecting that there might be something between Sheridan and Delenn. No spoilers. I'm just wondering if he's... Right, yeah, that that could be. I, but, they, but you know, they've developed it so subtly that uh, yeah. maybe it's not so apparent to him. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking like mm-hmm. Valen will come back from from the future somehow, or something, or from the past somehow, or, or something like that. And and I don't know. That's a good yeah. question. Well, that actually relates to another question I have in a second. But we'll we'll revisit this in the spoiler space because I have a couple more things I want to say that that relate to what actually does happen, and I don't want to give that away now. Um, on the on the website, they asked a really good question. What was Delenn planning to give up, and what was Delenn planning to tell someone? Because she didn't do either one. That is a good question. That I didn't even think that. I, I, I didn't just either. Because she was she was running the ceremony that that she mm-hmm. that because she was badgering everybody else to to do something, she and here really, she didn't do anything. She was hounding people like yeah. you get people like oh it's Delenn again she wants us to come to this ceremony. i love when marcus said i'll but come to the closing ceremonies right <laughs> well i think that was jakar that oh was it jakar okay you know, which they which both is funny that they brought they brought andreas katsoulis in you know sat him in that chair for the makeup for four hours dressed him in his costume <laughs> trotted him out onto the set for two sentences and said all right you're done for the day just andreas, thanks just for that scene, I hadn't right. thought about it until you said it. But you're right; they got him out there just but, for that one scene, and and it was worth it. In a, in a, to us, I probably probably wasn't worth it right. to him. <laughs> it, well, it's all yeah, it's always worth it to see him on screen. But to get back to your question, I think maybe what she was willing to give up was her life for Sheridan when mm. she intercepted the knife. Mm. And her secret was that she had feelings. Well, didn't she say at one point that this is that that this is the first time? I don't, I don't remember. Maybe this was just in an interview. I think the actress said this was the first time that Delenn did something, was willing to sacrifice herself for Sheridan, not for the greater good of the cause, but because of her feelings for him. Ah, uh, yeah. So that makes maybe, sense. Maybe that was her secret. Yeah. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Um, We're on to you, JMS. We know your secrets now. <laughs> Figuring them out because you know you know he's listening. Oh, I'm sure he tunes in. Uh, why wouldn't he? <laughs> I tell you what, if a couple of guys were doing a pretty moderately entertaining and halfway intelligent podcast about stuff I created, I would tune in. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not a busy man like JMS in that way. Um, here's my last unanswered question, but I think this is a good one. This was a rebirth ceremony. JMS has said it's the same ceremony as in the Parliament of Dreams. So, who got married this time? Ooh. <laughs> Good question. I, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I think it's very interesting that when you just said it, it, it brought this to my mind, that this whole thing was a rebirth not just of the 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 characters or even of the station but of the series itself that because they are starting the second half yep of the five-year arc and it's in the it, it is uniforms. a complete rebirth of their mission of the uniforms of, mm-hmm. of everything so you're right i think that that's that's pretty darn cool 
it's a different show after this. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. Good good point. Good catch. Okay. Uh, let's see. A few other things. Um, you talked about Sparky. Talked about the um, the 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 Bones song that the that Sniper was singing was also sung in the final episode of The Prisoner. I believe JMS has said that it didn't have any relevance, but we do know he likes The Prisoner and he kind of references it with the little tip of the hat thing in the first season and all that with Jack. Um, they they fly the missing man formation when the bodies are ejected in the uh, caskets. The Star Furies do. Uh, Sheridan says Babylon 5 is open for business. That's what Laurel Takashima said in The Gathering. Um, Sheridan says to Ivanova, Ivanova, my hypocrisy only goes so far, is a quote from Mark Twain. Um, Don Stroud playing Boggs, people were commenting that his makeup wasn't good, that that scar looked, looked too fake. And JMS pointed out it was a real scar, which is always funny when people think something looks fake and it's real. Um, he, 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 Larry Dottilio. Hey, it's a Larry Dottilio reference. We haven't done this in a while. But our, our old Jovian sunspot creating buddy Larry Dottilio said that he, he claimed that Don Stroud got that scar in his eye, that kind of Blofeld scar, by jumping into a crowd of men with knives to stop them from attacking, uh, assaulting a woman. So he's a tough guy and was doing a good deed. So wow. That's, that's pretty cool, yeah. Um, the eulogy recited by Sheridan is the same one spoken by Ivanova in Soul Hunter. Um, the Minbari prophecy foretells fire and darkness after the two halves of Minbari's soul unite to combat the ancient enemy. Londo uses the term an inconvenient truth here in 1996, several, several years before Al Gore's movie. thought that was interesting. Yep. Um, that is interesting. Yeah. When he says that's an inconvenient truth, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. What year was this? It's 96. Whoa, no. Al Gore was still <laughs> vice president. Yeah. Uh, they, he hadn't so even, maybe Al Gore was a Babylon 5 fan. Ah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that was even before the re-election. That was when he was first term. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to highlight this one because I'm going to save this one for last because it's driving me crazy. Um, okay. So Garibaldi's password is peekaboo. Sheridan's is mm-hmm. Obsidian. I can't remember what Ivanova's is. Griffin. Uh, Griffin, okay. This episode... Well, contain- I only remember that. Go ahead. I only remember that because that's my son's middle name. Oh, awesome. Very good. Uh, this episode contains a surprisingly large amount of discussion of torture from characters on both sides of the conflict. One side talking about breaking fingers, the other side talking about cutting them off. That was pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Seemed like an episode of 24. Where all they do is torture people. <laughs> um, let's see. Sheridan does put his dress uniform on one more time, as we discussed last time, uh, yeah. for for the funeral. After that, he's just in his white Mandarin collar shirt until they get the new uniforms. Um, and did we did we see the uh, pilots with a dress flight suit? Because I, I saw some some pilots in that scene in the background that were wearing they looked similar to the flight suits, but it looked they looked fancier, and I thought that was interesting that they would have a dress uniform as well, separate from the the regular um, the regular dress uniform. I didn't notice, but that's pretty cool. I, I wouldn't see why they wouldn't. Yeah. They're officers, right? For the most part, right? So, yeah. Right. Very good. Uh, let's see. Um, Susan's. 
reveal I thought was particularly interesting. She says she thinks she loved Talia. And I think we we discussed that before. We've talked about it. Um, just reminded me, just more salt in the wounds, basically, that we lost Talia. Made me sad. Right. And I thought the... Uh, the well, I'll, I'll get into that when we talk about our, our categories. Okay. Last one, because this is what I want to talk to you about and get your opinion. Londo gives Rifa one half of a two-part poison. Why? I just That doesn't make any sense to me. So Rifa wouldn't know when the second one was coming or where it was coming from, and so that when it was administered, it would get past any poison... Uh, ah. protection system they might have. Ah, all right. That I will buy. You have found an answer that works because otherwise, otherwise, think about this. I said, I wrote down my note here. I said, why not just give him one poison later rather than half now and half later? I do like in story terms that it's an active ongoing threat and it is disconcerting, but threatening to give him one single poison later would effectively do the exact same thing as giving him the half that would kill him later anyway. So there's no difference there. And right. it would probably be easier to administer since he wouldn't be on guard for it if you didn't warn him now that you could do it later. Right. So what you said is the only thing that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, he made a point to, to say that they are completely harmless okay. substances yeah. separately. Yeah. So that 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 and he also said going back to the old ways of poisoning your your political enemies, I'm sure that the the advanced Centauri society would have advanced scientific ways to detect poisons and stuff like that. Yeah. So kind of like upping the cold war of of yeah. poisoning each other. Yeah, I just it just seemed like this not only doesn't do anything, it also warns him to be on the lookout. But what right. you said though that they could smuggle it in much more easily than an actual full poison. That makes sense for me. The other question I had was maybe you give him a slow poison and only you have the antidote and you threaten to withhold the antidote if he doesn't do what you say. Right. Or the third possibility, he was just completely gaslighting him like the beep beep thing from. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Jakar and Garibaldi, right? Right. Right, yep, that, 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 that. he could have just been completely lying to him as well. Yeah, that's good. All right, all right. Well, uh, here's a couple of things from JMS. Uh, John uh, John Copeland, Doug Netter, and JMS were given silver inlaid leather script books by the crew to commemorate the halfway point. That's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, somebody asked JMS, was this one of Lando one of one of Lando Norris's chances. <laughs> no. Was this one of Londo's chances for redemption? And he said, no, this wasn't an opportunity for redemption. It would be flagged as much more important than this. Um, I, I did find it interesting that Londo was trying to do a rebirth ceremony of his own by, you know, uh, getting rid of Morden in the, the shadow or trying to get rid of Morden in the shadow influence and turning over a new, a new page by, drawing the forces back and stopping all the wars. Of course, in Londo's you know, way, he was screwing it all up again. So. <laughs> this is a good point, yeah. Yeah, interesting to compare Londo in this episode to Londo in the next episode, too, in terms of attitudes and everything. Yeah, He's being very pr pragmatic, though. He still, has his, yes. he still has his problems, his issues. He's just being more pragmatic in this one, I think. Yeah. All right, let's, let's get into the categories. What was your high point of this one? 
high point for me was the uh, the rebirth ceremony. I thought it was a really cool character moment. It was almost my my favorite character moment, but it was a character moment for each of the the, the main characters, the command staff. Um, I thought it was really neat how um, two in particular stood out. I mean, you mentioned Ivanova. I thought that was a neat one, but Garibaldi's and um, Dr. Franklin's both stood out. Dr. Franklin's was because this is the turning point for him and his in his uh, STEM arc. You know, this is when he finally admits to himself he has a problem. I thought that was really cool. And for Garibaldi, knowing the struggles that Jerry Doyle had in his life with alcohol, he was really bringing a lot of himself into his statement. You, you could tell that either he's a phenomenal actor or he was really getting, you know, digging deep into his personal history to, uh, to say what he had to say, too. I thought that was really cool. Okay, two things about that I want to ask you. One, well, we did note that he broke his... You, you noted last time that he broke his arm and his wrist, and we saw the repercussions of that this episode. Right. What I never understood exactly what Garibaldi was saying in his little confession. So what exactly do you take from that? Help us understand. I think that that was his, his alcoholism. If he ever let go, okay. that he would be in serious trouble. If he ever lost control of himself and went back to the bottle, that he would be... And well, that's that's for the uh, spoiler space, I guess. We can continue that that particular discussion. Well, as he briefly did in a in a season one episode. Right. Exactly. So I th- I, I took it to mean that. Okay. That that is his big demon. The character's yes. big demon is 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 his struggles with the bottle. All right. If any of our listeners and patrons particularly have any thoughts on that, I'm curious what you think too. I don't disagree with you. I'm just it just has always seemed so vague to me that I haven't really been sure what he was talking about. So I'm I'm just curious. Right. Okay. Um, my high point was uh, Delin having two different conversations. She tells Marcus that he has not yet forgiven himself for being alive when everyone else he cared about is dead. So. I like that a lot. I like that she kind of yep. went right to the root of his problem. And then I like that Sheridan told her, I can no longer imagine my world without you in it. That's such a great line. I love that. Yeah, that that was a really cool line. And I really liked, because Marcus up in Tenderland has been pretty much a, a blank slate. I mean, he doesn't have much no. character outside of his personality. You know, we don't mm-hmm. know anything about his background. We don't know what motivates him, anything like that. And with one small scene they very deftly and very you know succinctly created a, a fascinating character background for him and i thought that was real i mean we knew what had happened but to, it created a character drive now we understand marcus a lot better just with that that one scene and i thought it was very very well done yeah oh, i agree i agree completely um let's see what was your low point the low point for me was the toe bones connected to oh, the God. foot bone. I, I got what they what they were trying to do with that because that's kind of a creepy song if you if you think about it. But the delivery or I don't know, it didn't work. It wasn't creepy. It was more cringeworthy than than creepy. So yeah, I I really and it just dragged on so long. <laughs> yes. So yeah, it that that was the low point of the 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 episode and that that's nitpicking, but you know. I couldn't really find any really strong emotional low point, so I went with that one. Well, I'm going to go ahead and knock these two out together then because they kind of go together. My low point was the terrorists, and that is because, as we have observed multiple times before, random thug villains hiding out in Down Below or wherever on this show always, always are cartoon characters. Yes. They always come across this way. Yeah. 
And that's like I've always said that's like the the weakest point to me of JMS's writing and characters is random thug guys that are his villains. His throw his throwaway villains are totally throwaway. Right. Um, I agree. The, and you know you know what would have solved that is if they had kept Nagrath around to be oh. instead of having random thugs, they could have just had Nagrath pulling all the, the, the puppet strings going on. But you know, you know how that went. I do know how that went. You're right. Yeah, I think that Bull from Night Court still wins the award for the worst of them all. <laughs> but uh, yes, but uh, these guys were not much beyond that. Which takes me no. to the Orenzento Ari Benzane overacting award, and I give it to the terrorists as well. And I noted especially when Sniper sings that song. So yes, let's go ahead and roll on into the Orenzento Ari Benzane. Well, you know, we had discussed actually uh, if we didn't have that award to to go with a a new category. Did you oh, okay. That discussion? Probably not, but I'm sure it'll be awesome. So <laughs> go ahead and remind me. <laughs> This was all your idea. <laughs> Fire it up. Let's, so, let's go. So what, what what we had discussed was who lost. Okay, excellent. The, the bad I actor like with it. who lost. So I I'm do a have genius. an answer for the I, <laughs> an accidental genius. There we go. Oh golly. So I, I did I did come up with something for the who lost category. All right, I, I, do it. Yeah. Oh well, we'll we'll get to that after the who won. Oh, so we put it after who won. I'm just gonna go put it down here in my in my template. Okay. I'm putting it in right now. So it'll be there for next time because I have a, oh wait, I have a, oh crap, I forgot. <laughs> I have it twice because we do two. There we go. So I have now put it in and now I got to do the highlighting. Oh, this is great podcasting for everybody I know. <laughs> there, now, now we're good. Now I won't do that again. A Andy knows very well. And our listeners are starting to learn how terrible my memory is about almost anything. Um, and I will note that that Van's template is on his computer, so he's very digital. My template for for all the categories is on my little yellow notebook <laughs> tablet. So I'm I'm very analog with with my note taking. <laughs> it, you know that's awesome. It goes back to I've I did the entire James Bond series review with Alan J. Porter for our james bond podcast on her majesty's secret podcast and i started out doing all of them on paper in a little notebook and like two-thirds of the way through i switched over to google docs so i could do them on my phone or i could do it on my ipad or do the computer wherever i am and so that's when i started doing it this way so uh maybe you'll stick with that and maybe you won't we'll see what you do it'd be interesting to see so um you had the low point but you're doing that later all right so what was your most babylon 5 scene most Babylon 5 scene was the reveal of the new uniforms. I thought that was really cool because it went towards the whole rebirth of the station and its mission and its command staff and all that. So I thought that was pretty neat. Now, I, I don't remember. Do, do the regular guys don't get the, the – the regular grunts don't get the, the fancy new black uniforms. They just stick with the, the, the white shirts and the, the dark pants, right? I think that Corwin and a few others get like um – Dress shirts that are that are kind of like brownish red, kind of multicolored, okay. you know. But we'll gotcha. see. Yeah. That's a little bit. That may maybe a few episodes down the road. I remember okay. Corwin having kind of a. I think Zach gets one of the black outfits, doesn't he? Eventually. Eventually, he does. Right now, he's in the new uh, greenish security outfit. Oh yeah, they got those green ones that kind of yeah. replace the gray or whatever. Or right. And they're they're more a little bit more militaristic. It looks like they have some armor built in and stuff. Yeah. It looks a lot like their their uh, riot uniforms, but it's it's less uh, less uh, uh, militaristic than that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how the costumes change on here. Um, 
And the lady that did the costumes really liked to do asymmetrical things with leather and stuff. You notice, like the the, the Earth Alliance uniforms had the leather patch on one side, and the the new black yep. uniforms had the little triangle on one side. Although it's not actually a tri, it's what you yep. see as a triangle, but it's because the flap that folds over like a double-breasted suit right. has a has a slice yep. out of it. And so you're seeing an actual panel. I've got that uniform, and that little checker panel on the chest actually extends all the way to the waist. That's cool. It, it's covered I up. I love the costuming of the show. I, I think. Yeah. Right. I never understood it. it, it why I put it on there, it uses a whole lot of material to run it all the way down the front, and all, all you see is the very top of it. But if any of them ever undid their, unfastened their, um, the double-breasted part of it, you'd see that, that checker panel run all the way down to their belt. So. Um, let's my, yeah, I had the new uniforms and also I thought it was a very Babylon five scene at the beginning when Delin is thanking the captains of the Minbari ships for kind of rescuing them. I thought it was cool that they kind of all gathered together so that Delin could thank them for, you know, making that decision. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I did too. So favorite character moment for this one. Uh, for me, I, like I said, I wanted to list the, the rebirth ceremony because that covered everybody's character. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I went with the uh, the scene when um, Sheridan is chasing down Sniper and, and beats the <laughs> crap out of him and then has that little speechifying at the end where he says, no more. Yeah, I thought that was pretty intense. First of all, uh, Bruce Boxleitner is a physical dude. He can mm-hmm. he can throw a wicked punch. I mean, he's he's good at that. He he looked good, you know, fighting. And I read an interview with uh, um, one of the I think it was the director or one of the producers said that Bruce loved doing that type of stuff. So they tried to sneak those scenes in wherever possible because Bruce just loved throwing down with people. <laughs> so hey, I thought awesome. I thought that was a neat scene. It, it it just showed his character. I mean, he's he's the the military guy. He's the guy that you know that gives orders and stuff like that. But he's not at all afraid to to throw down with people and and beat the snot out of the bad guy. No. I thought that was pretty cool. It was. I was just saying, who who doesn't love Bruce Boxleitner? He's just an awesome guy and always has been. Um, favorite character moment for me is pretty much Londo. He has some great lines with Rifa where he says. Is there anyone along, along our borders with whom we are not currently at war? And then he says uh, something like, only an idiot fights a war on two fronts or something. Only the heir to the kingdom of idiots fights a war on 12 fronts. And he has yep. a great line. He says, your loyalty to our people should be greater than your ambition. And and Rifa's reaction was was also notable. He just kind of smirked and laughed it off. Yeah, as if. When Londo said that. As yep. if, yeah. Yeah. Uh, later on, Delin, I mean, uh, Lin, uh, Londo has a good line with Delin and Lanier, where he's asking, which they're asking about in, about the ceremony, and he says, "I was thinking drinking, women, and debauchery. I forgot I was speaking to Minbari. This to you sounds like a good time." <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. All right, what was your? Fu- that could be a funniest moment too. But what's your funniest moment? Uh, my funniest moment was. <laughs> Sparky. I thought Sparky was a little annoying at first, but just hearing Harlan Ellison be Harlan yeah. Ellison was was pretty hilarious to me. Especially as it went on, it got funnier. So I, I I rather enjoyed that. I thought that was a neat little gimmick. He didn't break into show tunes though. That was my only disappointment. There. Right. <laughs> um, my funniest moment was Marcus 
had a, some great lines when he was fighting. After he knocked everybody out, I mean, I know he had the line about five minutes from now, I'll be the only person at this table. Stand. Whatever, that's fine. But then yeah. they come back to him and everybody's unconscious and he says, booger, now I'll have to wait for somebody to wake up. <laughs> and then he tells Lanier or Delenn, I forget. He says, Lanier. Lanier, he says, they said I was carrying around a lot of repressed anger. I'm not repressed anymore. Right. <laughs> that's a good <laughs> that one. That was a funny scene. And then he and says, Lanier? yeah, go ahead, Lanier. Lanier was pretty tough in that scene too. When when uh, oh, yeah. uh, Marcus laid hands on him and Lanier turned around and lifted him up in the air and said, "I wouldn't do that if I were you." Yeah, he says, "Don't remember, we may look like you, but we're not you." Yeah, something like that. And then he says, "It's like I always say, you can get more with a kind word and a two by four than with just a kind word." <laughs> I forgot who he was quoting. He was he was paraphrasing JMS was paraphrasing somebody with that one, but I can't remember who it was. But that's a that's a famous line that somebody else has said, like a wrestler or somebody. I don't know, but anyway. Right. All right. Who won this episode? This is what I'm curious about. I think the command staff won the episode because okay. they all got they all went through the rebirth ceremony and got to you know get something off of their chest. I thought yeah. that was cool. That was very important for for Doctor Franklin. And I think uh, they ended up with kind of a, a, a new outlook on their mission in the in the galaxy and in, in the pol- the political landscape. And, and they got the snazzy new uniforms. I thought that was cool too. That's true. Um, I said there were two winners, although it was hard to nail down. I think Marcus won this episode to a degree. He got some great scenes. Everything was good. He got to explain himself a little bit, as you noted earlier too. Yeah. And then and then I felt like Delenn survived the attack. She got the ceremony when it looked like she wasn't and John confessed his feelings more or less to her. So Delenn kind of won a little bit in this episode too. Absolutely. All right. So how do you rate this one? This is another really curious question to uh, me. You you already forgot our new category. Oh, who lost? <laughs> I put Boggs in the Night Watch because they yes. they got rid of Boggs. Boggs didn't complete his mission, and he got shot and probably died. Yeah. Uh, but they, they also rooted out, if not all of the remaining Night Watch gang, a, at least a good portion of them. Yeah. So I, I think I think that, uh, the yeah, they lost. The less subtle ones anyway, but yeah. Right. <laughs> um, are we to understand that the guy that contacted them and fooled them was they thought he was night watch and he wasn't or was he night watch and they were forcing him or he he was night watch and and um they either fed him misinformation the command staff either fed him misinformation or forced him to do that i i i I got that they they were feeding him misinformation because the guy was pretty convincing you know to boggs at least that that he was giving him good intel yeah yeah i agree it just wasn't clear to me how that was working, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, right. I don't. I didn't have a loot. I didn't have this category because obviously you're a much smarter person than I am, and I forgot all about it. But <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say that uh, I agree with you that the losers are the terrorists because they were losers. They started out losers and they became actual losers over the course of the episode. So they just lost, 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 and we all kind of lost a little bit right. having to hear the dude sing. So we're kind of losers too. <laughs> Now, how did you rate this one? I gave this one three stars. Not that it was a spectacular or important episode, but for all the character development we got from it, I thought it was really cool. And it came, this episode, like I mentioned earlier, came at the exact right moment. I mean, it came after the the huge trilogy of momentous 
uh, uh, occurrences. And it also came at the midway point when the station itself needed a rebirth. So this was kind of like a new pilot for the new series of Babylon 5. So I, I, I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was it was cool. So I gave it three stars. I may, actually, maybe a little over generous, but... <laughs> I actually have a sound effect on my soundboard for what I reacted when you said that. You said, I give it a 3.0, and I said... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I'm guessing you don't agree. (laughs) That seemed a little big. I I understand your rationale. Your rationale is actually the same as mine. I gave it a 2.5, which isn't that much lower, but just for some reason, 3 sounded a lot higher than 2.5. But I gave it 2.5 for the same reasons that you gave, which is that the the A plot is stupid, but there's enough character (laughs) stuff to kind of make up for it. So, yeah. Right. We're only 0.5 off, and I freely admit that I was probably over generous, but I really did like this episode. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Well, there we go. Um, all right. So remember, go to www.b5review.com and click on the button become a patron. Like these fine folks uh, Allison Rich, Colonel Dad, EJ Alexander, Leah G., Rich Hammett, his arms wide, Emmanuel Seaman, uh, Mondi06. I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong. You can let me know. It's M A H N D 06. Um, Michael O'Connor, Stu Parker, Comrade Sheridan, Heather and Yancey Steingrabber, Ice Cream Clone, and Michael Halbrook. We appreciate all of you so very much. And I did want to go back for just a moment. And see, uh, I think we had a couple of comments, but I, I think if I remember correctly, most of the comments were just people I had gone in and posted and said that we weren't able to do an episode last week, and two or three of the of our great patrons responded by saying, "That's cool. You guys have a good vacation, and we'll look forward to hearing you when you get back." And I appreciate them, you know, giving us a week off. Absolutely, we yeah. we have the best patrons. We really do. They're awesome. Um, all right, that takes us on into 312, Sick Transit Veer. So I'll give the summary for this one. Londo introduces Veer to a surprising new acquaintance, and there is a heavy influx of Narns to the station that raises suspicions. This is production th- number 313, originally aired April 15th, 1996, written by JMS, directed by Jesus Trevino. One of our big-time B5 directors, Jesus Trevino. And the only notable guest star I noted for this one is Carmen Thomas as Lindesty. <coughs> Excuse me, Lindesty. Um, all right, so um, do you have any random factoids and notes for this one? I do. Um, first of all, we get a newspaper sighting. I thought that was cool. Londo opened up a newspaper when he was waiting for Veer. That was always fun. I, I thought we were done with the newspapers, but apparently not. <laughs> um, the Narn that uh, uh, Lindesty had tied up in in uh, uh, Veer's quarters, that Narn did survive. Um, that The line for that was cut. There was a line that oh. Veer tells, I believe, Sheridan that the Narn is recovering in Medbay. And JMS said for some reason that was cut. I'm not sure why. It was only like a two-second a, a two delivery, so... But so, just in case that was one of your unanswered questions, <laughs> yes, that he and did I, survive. I'm appreciate. I'm glad to know that because they did. I have I have issues with the ending of this episode, but we'll get to that in a minute. 
Okay. And one more. There was a a a line from Veer when he was talking about where the the Narns were going. He said that I was getting them to other other locations, and then he paused. Then he said, "Or," and then he paused, and he said, "Sent elsewhere." Right mm-hmm. now, the actor was a doctor on the show Saint Elsewhere about ten years before this show, and the way he enunciated "sent," it almost sounded like he was saying "Saint Elsewhere." Ah. I don't know if that was intentional part on the writer or an intentional part on the actors in in his delivery or what but i i mean it was it was so obvious i mean it just jumped right out of me it had to be intentional on somebody's part i thought that was kind of funny how about that interesting okay cool um any other factoids and notes and questions no no sir i, I don't right. quite have the uh the extensive <laughs> research staff that you have so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 it's kind of when the episodes are dull. I spend half my half half of my brain going through Google searching, finding <laughs> uh, finding t- tidbits. So, uh, let's see. Unanswered questions. Um, somebody asked, "How was Ivanova able to flesh out Veer's fake official when the records would presumably be in the Cent- Centauri Republic's private databases?" So. Interesting. Well, she she is a sneak now, yes, so we, maybe we that's how. That. Yep. So is Garibaldi. Um, right. So, yeah, one of the unanswered questions was, what did Veer and Lindesty do with the bound Narn? Obviously, Veer didn't kill him, but what did he tell Lindesty? It kind of leaves us hanging there with Veer having this horrible realization that he's uh, uh, engaged to Space Nazi, which is what I'll be referring <laughs> to the rest of the way. And then... <laughs> It just kind of leaves it there. And as you said, there was at least a line to say the, the dude was still alive. But we never do find out. We never do find out um, what happens the rest of that scene. Like, right. how did they how did they get out of that scene? How did it end? Right. And I guess I'm going to just roll down here to for just a second and make a note in spoiler. Yeah, or, or I already did. Good. This is something else I forgot. Um, well, I have a spoiler question about Lindesty, so we'll get to that in a bit. And it has to do with the books, right. too. Um, apparently, Sheridan has learned how to cook flarn, but not well. <laughs> not a good share. I loved uh, Delenn frantically putting salt and pepper on the flarn. That was, that was pretty funny. Um, oh, somebody noted this, which I thought was cool. It shows the pressures that independence is starting to put on the station. The officers now drink an unidentified liquid instead of coffee. Um, and an ambassador of a major race cannot get a maintenance crew to his quarters. So clearly yep. the loss of Earth funding is starting to affect them. Right. I, you know what? I have an unanswered question. Yeah. What, what kind of spiders did he have crawling around <laughs> in his... And his that thing was the size of a small potato, and he said yeah. that was a smaller one. Yeah, that was that was creepy. It was, and I like that him on the phone with uh, him on Babcom with the with the maintenance sounded a lot like me on the phone with AT and T sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, somebody asked JMS what happened to the previous Centauri liaison to Minbar, and JMS says he went native. Bought into the whole Mimbari theological system, dropped his Centauri citizenship, and was last heard of in a living in a distant retreat trying to grow a bone. 
<laughs> so there you go. Wow, maybe uh, he needs to borrow the triluminary from uh, the link. I, that would fix him up. Yeah, we know it is possible in both directions. Yeah. Um, Ivanova joined Earth Force in 2247, 13 years before this season. So that puts her, I think, in her early 30s. Not bad for being a full commander already. Not bad. Right. Um, oh, I have to see if I can say this diplomatically. I was watching this on my phone on HBO Max. I watch on HBO even though I own it and have it on Apple as well because I want to help the ratings. Every little bit helps. Right. I do the same. I had the captions on. When she, when she and when Ivanova and Sheridan are having their breakfast and Sheridan says, if you dreamed you went into C&C naked, then you'd be in real trouble. And then he goes to get his refill. She exclaims something as she puts her head in her hands. And the HBO captions say that she said S-H-I-T. <laughs> now I'm like, really? It, and if you listen, it sounds like she says that. She, yeah. I mean, I guess we can be charitable and say that she sounds like she's saying shh. But when she goes shh, the captions read plain as day in all capital letters. <laughs> yeah. So this is That's like the... Funny. The only R-rated Babylon 5 episode. Right. They, they snuck that one past the censors. That's they, funny. They did, yeah. Uh, two more things. The, Vini, the Vinzini have eight legs and compound eyes and are terrible at cards, according to Londo. Because of their compound eyes. Yeah. and Oh, and also Susan is good with Photoshop, as we learn later. And finally... <laughs> <laughs> Delin asks Ivanova for help with some feminine issues, one of them being her hair. I won't get in the other one. And yeah. Veer asks Ivanova for help knowing what women want. And I'm like, why do people keep coming to Susan asking these uncomfortable questions? And the only right. answer I can come up with is that JMS enjoys putting putting Claudia Christian in the position of having to squirm. <laughs> All right. So that brings us to... Yeah. Category, we we yes. do find a little bit more about the uh, Centauri biology, too. Oh, you know, well, didn't we already know that? We did, but not necessarily the details of the different numbers. Well, that's We that's knew that there were, there were multiples, but we didn't know that each... Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> we, we learned some of the... the and, you know, that just so happened to be the one scene that my wife was watching with me, and I was just like, oh, jeez. <laughs> she was like, That's the wait, way it what, did he, what are they talking about here? That's <laughs> the way it always goes, Andy. We just can't win like that. You're right. Yeah. So what was your high point? Uh, the high point for me was uh, that scene when Sheridan and Delenn were truly expressing themselves to each other, or about to before uh, before yeah. Ivana <laughs> broke them up. That, I think that was the moment that they both realized that they were definitely in love with each other and, and wanted to be together. I thought that was really cool because it's been a slow build. You know, they've been yeah. very subtle about building this relationship and, I, I, and very effectively so. Yeah. But uh, I, this was a, a cool moment between those two. No, I agree. That's I, I, Although I have to admit, I put down naked Ivanova. <laughs> <laughs> In, in another episode, that might not have been a big deal compared to everything else. Right. But in this episode, seeing Ivanova walking around the, the command and control naked was pretty much the high point of the episode for me. It, it's not very often that we see Claudia Christian's legs, but she does have a, a, an agreeable pair of legs for sure. I, and I kept finding myself wondering what, what the actress was wearing. Because right. she had something right. on. <laughs> she didn't yeah. do that scene start naked, but right. don't know. Bikini maybe or something? I don't know. Um, let's see. Low point of the episode. 
Uh, for me, it was uh, Linda C's attitude regarding the Narns. It was That's it. wow, and it it wasn't yep. so low because of what she said. It was so low because those attitudes aren't science fictiony outer space type of stuff. Mm. That's from human history. Yep. Um, so it, that that kind of it, it was just jarring and just ugh, it it was icky. She reminded me of the Centauri version of the earth lady that came to try to take control of Sheridan, the blonde-headed lady. Yes, yes. She was so blasé about her and horrific cutesy. attitudes. Oh, yeah, yes, dear. Yeah, we'll have so much fun together if we go and commit genocide on these stupid aliens. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just uh, put Space yeah. Nazi. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's Space Nazi. And, and poor Veer was distraught because he really legitimately did – Mm-hmm. you know, uh, find her appealing. Up he was coming around. And, he was coming right. around to her and then boom. Yeah. Well, even towards the end when she left, he gave her the kiss and said, you know, maybe, maybe we'll be able to rehabilitate you. This, this is what I want to. Okay. Let's talk about that now. Since we're talking about Linda, see the space Nazi, I had a real problem with Veer just being like, Oh, so you've killed many, many Narns. Well, Hundreds. we'll, yeah, well, and your dad killed many, many more. Uh, that's cool. We'll see if we can't fix that about you. Smooches, hugs, have a nice trip. Yeah. I I have a pro. I, I, Veer is not my favorite character. And even still, I had a problem believing that he would be that blasé about her true nature being revealed. Right. And I, I chalked that up to... Uh, Veer just being completely clueless about the opposite sex. Okay, I'll buy I that mean, as, as maybe, much as anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he seems childlike in a lot of his a lot of his morality. So maybe he does think you know innocently that uh, maybe she can be fixed. I don't know. But yeah, yeah. At fringe at the very end, and my still you know watching with me. Um, so we both kind of cringed when when Veer gave her a kiss. I was like, ooh. Ooh, why would you want to? Why, why would you want to do that? My expectation would be that he rid himself and the station of her very quickly. And you know the he did. That, and the other thing that, but I mean, and not even like in a oh we'll see what happens next time. Maybe we'll get along better next time. Maybe you won't be such a space Nazi next time. I'm like, I'm surprised Veer didn't find a way to put her out the airlock and go. Oops, wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing though about maybe that. Maybe he was maybe. But, 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 and here's the thing about that. And this is another thing that really was a low point for me was Londo's reaction to her being like that was, she's a real Centauri woman. Yeah. You know, and I'm just right. like, yeah, that the was hell. Yeah. I mean, I guess, but Londo usually kind of keeps that. I don't know. Either, either he doesn't say it mostly or he does it in a way that you're just like, oh, that Londo, such a scamp. But this was up there with um, when they overran the Narns and he was Hitler. Remember the, the right, Long absolutely. Twilight struggle? When he came yeah. out and was freaking Hitler and we were so disappointed in him, this in some ways was worse because that was him just like embracing it like he's Hitler. This is him like saying, oh, I'm, I'm, this is what you need to aspire to be, Veer, and your whole compassion for the downtrodden thing is just stupid and and you have a problem and i'm just like this is not a londo i can ever feel any sympathy for right and and i think that was him putting on airs in front of uh 
Sheridan and Ivanova because if he were that horrible of, of a person, he would not have felt the remorse that he felt when he saw them bombing the Narn homeworld. I mean, that was a powerful scene when he when he yeah. was there and he was like, oh, my God, what have I done? This attitude here, if he's really like that, would take away a lot of the pathos that that scene generated. So I think he was just putting on, you know, a blustery face mm. for um, Ivanova and Sheridan. I hope so, because I'm I hope like, so. man, yeah. <laughs> Londo, dude, if you're like this all the time, I don't like you at all. And I like Londo. So this was right. You know. uh, in, in other words, let, let my last thing on the subject, but it just occurs to me. In the past, Londo has kind of been the Centauri with a conscience to a degree. And I don't like it when he becomes just like all the other Centauri and Veer is the only one with a conscience. You know what I mean? It's like there's a continuum. Right. And I like absolutely. I, I like Londo being more not. He, Londo's not like Veer. He's not like totally compassionate for him, but he's not like freaking the Emperor or anything either. You know what I mean? He's more on. If there's a continuum, right. he's more on Veer's side to a degree than he is on on that. Right. So he, he would be the equivalent of of a German officer who joined the Nazi Party simply because he had to to advance his career, not yeah. because he was a genocidal maniac. Just saw a character like that on SSGB, by the way, uh, which is on Amazon. That's a really good miniseries. Um, let's see. So the Orenzento Overacting Award, we have replaced it. But I'll just say this. I thought that Lindesty got right up there to the edge of it when she was just being so cutesy-cutesy. I guess they had to set her up that mm-hmm. way so it hits harder when you go back when you zag the other way. Oh, she's a genocidal murderer, but isn't she cute, you know? So I'm right. like, well, eh. her. The, the actress's other big listing on IMDb was the cute co-ed from Revenge of the Nerds. So. Oh, really? Wow. I was wondering whatever <laughs> she'd ever done. It's always, you know, it's hard to imagine. Without hair, it makes a big difference when these, when these actresses, right. when they don't have yeah. hair, I don't recognize them. So, um, Let's see. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I could not find a most Babylon 5 scene, and I'm relying on you to suggest one that I can agree with. For me, it was uh, there towards the end when Ivanova and Sheridan were discussing Ivanova's new mission, how she got rid of her nightmares. Um, she became the the they they designed a way to continue saving the Narns, but in a larger picture, she created a new mission for Babylon Five, and this is how we're gonna you know we're gonna help the other races you know fight against the darkness. I thought I mean that was kind of a, a Babylon very Babylon Five type of, of mission i think it works for me sounds good okay what was your and favorite we got to oh. see we got to see sheridan as a centauri so i thought that was good. <laughs> that was that was pretty good yeah again i mentioned susan's photoshop skills that's pretty good uh right. what, what was your favorite character moment in this one favorite character moment was when sheridan asks delen to dinner i thought that was super cute <laughs> in a in a cheesy schmaltzy sort of way i thought that was a lot of fun and i was reading an, uh, an interview about um about this particular episode and the again i forget if it wasn't the writer it wasn't jms it might have been the director or producer again but said that um sheridan loved doing the schmaltzy stuff or <laughs> uh bruce boxleitner loved doing this he called it the schmaltzy stuff but he loved doing it so i thought it and it was a very effective scene i thought it was very well acted how you know again this was has been a slow burn relationship forever and it's it's it was cool to see them finally say, you know what? Because before you always had an excuse to ask her out to dinner, like, oh, this is for you know getting to know the new the the new captain or the new ambassador or whatever. This is you know he always had a reason, an official reason to be asking her out. This was a personal reason to ask her out, and she was very 
receptive to that. So I thought that was cool. Well, and this is the first episode of the second half of the series. So yep. every, everything changes, including uh, their relationship. Yeah, I had Sheridan yep. and Lynn almost kiss. And Vera Nivanova's intimate conversation was good. But I think my favorite character moment may have been Londo chasing the bugs. <laughs> that that made a different category for me. That was, and it wasn't just the one scene because it, it that scene was hilarious. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that later. Well, I almost thought the bugs weren't until he held up that little potato, as you mentioned. I almost thought that the bugs weren't real, and it was representing like Londo starting to lose it a little bit, you know, because of right. everything. Well, they had the little sound effect, the little sound effect whenever he was trying yeah. to eat something. So. He got the sword out that he like killed yeah, that, Urza Jado with. Yeah, that that was a very very funny. Scene. And kills the bug with it. Yeah. Well, yeah. More to say about that because that takes us to funniest moment. So go ahead. So yeah, it was obviously that scene um, because that is how my wife reacts to spiders. I mean, first she starts out <laughs> swatting them, and then she starts throwing stuff at them, then dropping stuff on them, and then she pulls out a flamethrower and tries to kill them that way. So yeah, it, it, it just hit home with me how funny, you know, the escalation that he finally went for, grabbed the the, the sword off the wall and started, and he was fencing with the bug. I thought that was yes. so fun. He was doing that, and he finally did get it. But also it. later he was talking about how uh, they were evolving, you know, yes. when he was when Veer and, and, and uh, Linda C were there. He said, be careful. They might evolve language skills here soon. <laughs> that's, that's my funniest moment, and I'll go ahead and say it, is he says, if you see something this big with eight legs coming at you, let me know. I have to kill the, I have to kill it before it develops language skills. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, also, I did note, and this gets back to what we were talking about a minute ago with how uh, Londo reacted to um, Sheridan being in there and, and Susan when Veer was revealed. They, they played up the whole thing where Veer might actually be a mass murderer or something. Right, no, it's Ivana just his, it's just his fiance. It's all good. Right. <laughs> <sighs> but but I thought the dark 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 humor of Londo's response was notable, even though it's horrible. It's kind of funny where he says two thousand nines. Wow, that's a good start. Glad to see you showing some initiative, Veer. I'm just like, oh, I want to cry and I want to laugh at the same time. That's horrible, right. but it's funny. All right, who won? Uh, I have Veer. Veer uh, got out of that wedding with that awful woman. Did he though? Um, so he, well, we we well, we can we can discuss that in in the uh, yeah the spoiler space. But I mean, he he got out of the immediate marriage to her, and yes. he, he was able to ship her off back to Centauri Prime. Um, he his mission with the Narns continued, even though he was no longer involved. Yeah. Um, and he, he's back where he belongs, next to Londo on on Babylon Five. So I thought he won. Still being trained how to be a genocidal maniac rather than right. a nice person. So that's great. Uh, I said the Narns won too, thanks to Veer. They two thousand of them that didn't die, so good. But yep. no, I agree with yep. you. I, I I questioned Veer being a winner because he's still technically engaged to space Nazi, so uh, you know. Well, um, that's why I for the who lost bit I also picked okay. Veer because he is still engaged yes. to space Nazi. <laughs> I think we can agree. Plus plus uh, plus he has to go back to his quarters now and they have apparently giant bugs. Right. Well, yeah, he was demoted. He's now stuck next to, you know, Londo again. And for all the reasons I said he won, he lost for those same yeah, reasons. Yeah, that's fair. 
I agree. All right, so what was your rating for this one? Uh, I gave this one, I waffled between a two and a two and a half, and I ended up going with a two. It was a cute episode. It, there wasn't anything important about it, um, and a space Nazi was, a, like you said, was a little <laughs> too cutesy. So yeah. I gave it a two. It, it, it wasn't fantastic, but it, it was mildly amusing. You are correct. It is a two. Glad we agree on that. Good deal. All right. So that gets us through two of the kind of like take a breath episodes. Wait, I'm sorry. I I do have to mention the the funniest. My runner up to that was uh, Abrahamo Lincolni. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought that was hilarious. I still to this day, occasionally when I'm teaching U.S. history, I almost say Abrahamo Lincolni. I catch myself (laughs) almost saying I live here in the land of Lincolni. (laughs) <laughs> and I often almost say that. Yep, that's a good point. That's funny. <laughs> All right, so yeah, like I said, th- these two were two. We just kind of they 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 add some level, some layers. They add some character stuff. They weren't anything to write home about. They weren't Earth moving or Centauri Prime moving. Although I would note, we do we are starting to get scenes set in the throne room in the in the palace on Centauri Prime, and we saw the Centauri minister. Again, I think I don't think this is the first time we saw him, but we will no, be seeing seen, him yeah. more. We've I, seen and him I, before, and yet that that joke was kind of funny. Yeah, and I think that the um, I think the card game calls him Verano, Minister Verano. I don't know if that's his actual name on the show, but I think they call him Minister Verano. We'll see him again. All right, our next installment will we have another twofer. 312, a late delivery from Avalon. I'm not quite sure what to do with that one. It's a lot like the. Um, the True Seeker episode, G- uh, Gaiac, right. from earlier. And uh, Ship of Tears, which is another interesting one. Ship of Tears will yeah. do some... That's more going on than you might remember, I think. All right, let me go ahead and... I didn't get to use my Kosh voice this episode, which is very disappointing to me, but we will <laughs> be going through the spoiler space now, so hang on tight. Jumpgate activated. So now we're going into spoiler space, so we will say things for people that have seen the entire show. And I don't have a whole you know, lot. Go ahead. You, you need to use your, your uh, Kosh voice to reference Dragon Con somehow. Well, we're still waiting to find out if we're going to get to do a thing at Dragon Con. So. No, I, I mean, you need to bring up Dragon Con in one of our podcasts ah. while using the Kosh voice, just to knock off two of your... Your bucket I, list. It can't be forced, though. It has to happen organically. So <laughs> it has to be natural. It has to happen, yes. So we'll see what happens. It's a good thought. It's a good thought, but we have to let it happen organically. <laughs> I only have two items in the spoiler section. One is the whole Lanier Delin thing, and I was just going to say that we know that this is kind of sort of the beginning of Lanier's descent, and we know where that's going to go, which is pretty depressing. Yeah. It pretty much starts here, doesn't it? Or is there something even it, already that we kind of... No, it, I, it. he's hinted. Yeah. I mean, they. they I, I guess we picked up on those hints because we knew where it was going, but this is the first explicit statement, Yeah. I think, that, that we've seen. Yeah, I agree. And then the other thing is, Lindesty, as far as I know, and I'm sure that maybe Peter David mentions her in the books. I can't remember. It's been quite a day or two since I read those books. Uh, and we will review them, hopefully. But yeah. I don't think we ever see or hear anything about her again. We don't see her again, but she does die during the fall of Centauri Prime. Oh, in the books. During the attack. Yeah, in the books. Or in the during, or during in, the attacks. Or in the. I'm not you, sure. Uh, it is. You know, I never really figured out where exactly, but they said that it is listed in canon okay. that she she 
dies during the attacks on Centauri Prime. I just do you do you mean that we see in season five or that we see in the books? I took it to mean in season five, but okay. I don't I don't remember the mention happening in season five, but I don't remember much about season five. Yeah, because I've I've only watched it once. But I'll I'll, I'll have to to look where I found that reference and see if they are any more specific than that. But I don't think they are. I think they just said that it is listed in canon. Yeah. That or it it is stated at some point in time in in canon that she dies during the fall of Centauri Prime. Well, I've got the B5 encyclopedias, the two big leather-bound volumes. So I'm going to go look that I, up right now and we'll put that on I, next time. Yeah. If I, I if I find anything. That. I, I I forgot to reference that. That's a good point. I'll go look it up. All right. Well, I, I, you have any spoiler things you want to throw out? No, that, I think I think that was all. Was that no, all? I think we're good. Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. we're good. All right. We're going to wrap up there. Like I said, uh, Andy and I will return in a couple of weeks to look at Ship of uh, Tears and Late Delivery from Avalon. Uh, the, the reason that Late Delivery from Avalon, it was originally supposed to be this one. They swapped Veer's episode and that one around to put the... Um, Whatever his name is, the actor that's that's in late delivery from Avalon, um, Michael right. York. Well, yep, Michael York. To put that one in a sweeps week, like a ratings period. So. Oh yeah, there you go. So we'll see if we like it enough to deserve that. All right, well, Andy, right. any final thoughts? No, sir. I think we covered everything. That was fun. It was that was good. Back in, the, right. back in the the saddle again. Back we are. All right, all right. The B five, the White Rocket Babylon Five review podcast. We'll get on out of here for another episode. Uh, we appreciate all you guys. Remember, go to www.b5review.com to become a patron and help us continue. And we will see you guys in two weeks with the next two episodes. Right. Uh, see you later, Andy. All right. Take care. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.